Good evening. So good to be here and so good to know what God's going to do. Because people say, you know, how do you know he's going to do it? Because we're expecting it. You know, he's, he's just good. And so I'm just going to talk for a few minutes because we're going to get under the anointing in all sorts of ways tonight. But you just, you just go ahead and drink while we're, while we're preaching and while I'm trying to preach. Um, you know, drinking, every church needs to have a drinking culture. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's just the way it is, you know, it's just, you know, you can have a drinking culture of alcohol if you like, but I'll tell you what, drinking of the Holy Spirit beats all that. And so, ah, more cool shamba and day, ah. You know, I, I love Sunday nights. People have asked me over the years, why have we been so persistent in doing Sunday nights? Because Sunday nights becomes the engine room for, for the church. Because it's the, it's the service whereby we, we, we're not having to think about a whole lot of other things. And in terms of ministry, we can, we're just going after one thing. And that's the moon of the Holy Spirit. And, and just saying, come Holy Spirit. And, uh, and, and, and because he likes that, and so do I. Yeah, I'm just going to, if you're wanting a title for the podcast, it's at, as at the beginning. That's a phrase in the Bible, as at the beginning. Now, the story is this. We read in the book of Acts about God was moving in Samaria, and uh, then the evangelist was there, people getting saved, all sorts of things was happening, miracles, signs and wonders. And the apostles in Jerusalem heard about this, and so they sent Peter and John down. And it says in, in Acts chapter 8, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, just imagine, you know, when we hear that lower heart has received the word of God, when we hear that Wellington region has received the word of God, that's awesome. But here it says, but there was something else. That was not enough to get people born again. Who when they came down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now the funny thing is, we're born again by the Spirit. That's the Bible is very clear. But there is this, what sometimes called the second experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now the word baptized really means you've been died in such a way you can't change it afterwards. Just like, you know, it's, I know some people dye their hair. I, I don't because there isn't anything to dye. But uh, some people, but their hair grows out and, and and, and that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about if you dyed your shirt, you can't get it back to where it was. It's gone past the point of no return. And there is an encounter with the Holy Spirit. There is a baptism of the Holy Spirit that takes you to a place there is no going back. You can't go back to normal. You can't go back to anything else. There is a riabo shundulula vasamaha that says, this is it. That's it. That's settled. And so, for as yet he had fallen on none of them. They'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so they, this incredible move took place. And it clearly says that the apostles were expecting more than just believing in Jesus. They were expecting more than just healings. They were expecting more. There was an encounter with the Holy Spirit that would change cities. And that's what we're going after, folks. We're going after an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that changes cities. 
And so, and then we read of the story of Peter. He's just recovering from that. He's having an afternoon nap. And so suddenly he has a dream and he has this vision. And, and, and the next thing is, there's people saying, hey, Peter, whereabouts are you? Peter, come on, where are you? And, and the next minute, it's an invitation to go to the Roman centurion's house. Now, you've got to understand what that meant in those days. For a Jew, that was horrific. To be summoned to a centurion, because the centurion could kill a Jew and didn't have to answer for it. He had power. If he suspected you, he could stick his Roman sword in you, and that was it. And so when you're suddenly summoned to the centurion's place, you have no idea whether you're going to walk out of that house again. Because that's the reality of life in Israel at that stage. And Judea is a, a, was the, the, the name. But the Holy Spirit had prepared him. And so he was able to walk in faith and not fear. And when you have had those encounters, no matter what happens, you're going to respond out of faith and not fear. We've seen people in the last two years, we've seen Christians who've responded out of fear, not faith. They've responded out of fear and some people are still locked in fear. And, but the power of the Holy Spirit is what enables us to no matter what happens, even when it seems like there's a death sentence in front of us, we can still say, but the Lord lives. We can still say, blessed be our God and the rock of our salvation. And so, oh, Kaparanda. And so then the Holy Spirit fell. I love the story there because some people say, you know, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's just there. Talk to Peter. While Peter is preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit says, get out of the way. And, and just, ah, oh, he was no more a gentleman than anything. He just comes. And so later on, Peter is saying, while I was yet speaking, down it came. But this is what it says. And as he began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them as upon us at the beginning. And so when we see this recorded as at the beginning, there is something that we've got to grab a hold of in this. Because this whole story is actually a reference point in the New Testament. We have two major reference points. The day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit fell. And here in Cornelius' house where the Holy Spirit fell. It's a major key for us. And it's, it is a major key for us. And as we continue to walk our walk of faith, as we continue the journey of discipleship, because that's what we're on, we must all stay with this revelation and connection as at the beginning. Every one of us has a beginning in our faith story. And if you haven't yet had that beginning, do yourself a favor and start tonight. The reality is, as at the beginning was important. It's a reference point for the rest of the New Testament. The things that happen as at the beginning. Because many times things drift and that's what Paul dealt with in the epistles. 
And he wrote in Galatians chapter 3 this amazing statement. You foolish Galatians. I mean, how pastoral is that? Some people think that I'm not very pastoral. I am. That's why I just say it as it is. They just. He says, who has bewitched you? Notice he didn't say what has bewitched you. He said who? Who has bewitched you? What does it mean to be bewitched? The word bewitched has some strong connotations. It clearly, can, we could say, points to a spirit. But it equally be, because Paul describes it as who, it could be a person. Or it could even be your own soul. And what does it mean to be bewitched? It means... You've become ensnared and trapped and you've lost your focus of where you were originally. You've lost connection to as at the beginning. And the reality is that in the Christian world, there are many people who have become bewitched. They became bewitched by the religious spirit. They became bewitched by what humanity could do. And churches got bewitched because they forgot as it was at the beginning, and they started to do it in all sorts of other ways. Why? Because they were bewitched by humanity. They were bewitched by what seemed right in their own eyes. They were bewitched by glamour and success in all sorts of ways. But we have to be those who understand the reality of as at the beginning. Religious spirits hate the supernatural. Why? Because the supernatural takes people out of the control of the demonic into the control of God. And that's why there's been a fight all over the years every time God's Spirit starts to move. Well, I don't think that's God. All sorts of stuff goes on. Yeah. And these thoughts that go on, it's a bewitching that's taking place. So that the power and the freedom and the river of God is not flowing freely. Because these spirits seek to focus people on what humans can do. And you start to hear words like excellence. But excellence actually becomes perfection. And perfectionism is a demonic substitute for spiritual excellence. Because excellent is just doing the best you have with what you've got. Perfectionism is a slave driver. That means you can never be satisfied. Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians, he, he wrote... To three, he identifies three types of people in, 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 in Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and, and 3, you find he talks about a natural man. He talks about a spiritual man. He talks about a carnal man. The natural man is, is clearly there, but before he identifies these people, he's talking there that how God reveals things to us by his spirit. Because the Spirit searches all things, the deep things of God. You can't get the deep things of God without the leading of the Spirit. And so it talks about how the things of the Spirit, the natural man 
cannot receive because they are foolishness to him. That natural man is a person who is not yet born again. His thinking is shaped, her thinking is shaped by the world, by the philosophies of the world. And this is what I love. Christianity is not a philosophy. It's an encounter with a living God, with the living God living on the inside and demonstrating himself through us. And so, and so whenever you see it there, you can say the natural man, it says the things of the Spirit are foolishness to him. Yeah, we've seen that. And then you get what Paul describes as the carnal man. The carnal man is not a person wrapped up in some sort of obsessive sexuality stuff and all sorts of other things, which sometimes the word has become to be used, even in legal language. It's, it's a person who is born again, but they are living by the philosophies of the world and not the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And that's a word which is linked to the soul. They're living out of their soul and not the spirit. But it says, he who is spiritual. That is describing a person who is born again and is living by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, submitted to the Spirit, learning to be yielded to the Spirit. And even though they don't understand it, they are still saying, but I trust the Holy Spirit. And that's what God is calling us. And that's why we get under the anointing. And that's why we allow ourselves to be come under and Paul, of course, go, 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 goes on to say in, in, in Galatians when he's called them, you know, all sorts of things. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. What does that teach us? Who do, he's not keeping in step with us. We're keeping in step with Him. And come on, let's tell the truth and shame the devil. There are too many people around who are wanting the Holy Spirit to keep in step with them. And the Holy Spirit starts to move. And they go, oh, slow down, Spirit. I don't understand that. Oh, that's not in my framework. Slow down, Spirit. And we've seen churches that have been promised amazing things, but they did not keep in step with the Spirit. They said to the Spirit, keep in step with me. And they started to shut the Spirit out of this and shut the Spirit out of that. And there's only one way, because the Bible says when we Israel there was going into their promise, what God had had for 400 years, but when they did what seemed right in their own eyes, oppression came, destruction came. They lost what God had promised. And so that's a lesson for all of us. Because we've got a promised land ahead of us, folks. We've got a nation swept by the power of God ahead of us. We've got cities transformed by the grace of God ahead of us. But we've got to make sure that we don't live by what seems right in our own eyes. Otherwise, we'll lose the promise of God and we'll never see the fulfillment of the promise of God. And so... Recently, just a, well, a while ago, I had a dream. And now I don't have a lot of dreams. I'm too busy sleeping. But when I wake up and, and, and it's still there and it's still there another day and another day, and another, I know I've had a, an encounter. It's a spiritual dream. And in this dream, there, there was a house up, like up on the hills up here, a house built on the side of a hill. And it was a good house. It was a strong house. And then people, there was a, a service going on in the house. 
And there was quite a number of people. There was, it, was, it was good. And they were having a worship time. And the next minute, the house was on the cliff. And there was the house. And suddenly the house just toppled over and went down the hill. And it was total chaos, total destruction. And I was like, God, what happened? They were having a worship service. They were, it was good. And he, I said, God. And he said, because they lost connection to their foundations. When the Kaikoura earthquake took place, we were due to have a big funeral that day. It's my friend, Doug. He was the minister at, Saint, at Knox in St. Columba. And, and they had asked could I take the funeral and could they have it here because it was going to be a big one, which it was. And when we had the earthquake, I have to be honest, I, I woke up and it was like shaking and, oh, well, that's another earthquake. And I went back to sleep again. I didn't hear sirens, didn't hear anything else. Something had fallen off, but I mean, sleep's more important than fear. And, and, so I just, and then at six o'clock, I'm getting phone calls from from uh, Auckland, is the church okay? Are we still having the funeral? Well, yeah, of course, we're having the funeral. And then I found out, well, maybe. So, of course. We, and so, but when the engineers came to check, they didn't check the building. What did they check? Were we still connected to the foundations? Because you couldn't see the foundations. But were we connected? And they walked around, right around. Were we connected okay to the foundations? That was awesome. Then we were having the funeral, and we had one of those big aftershocks, six point something. So I'm on the stage, and the Samoans had just done their farewell hymn, which was like, Samoans, when they sing, it's, they don't worry about three-part or four-part harmony. This must have been six-part harmony. And it was just like amazing. There was a few hundred of them standing and singing. And just as they were standing and singing, the earthquake struck again, six point something, and the whole place was... And the oxygen all went out of the room. It's like, and me being such a serious pastoral sort, and when they finished the song, I went, that was very moving. <laughs> and and, the, and the, the widow goes, yeah, because we're getting the focus back on the funeral, not the earthquake. But the reality is, that dream was like, <clears throat> And it hasn't gone away. Because there's many, many ministries that have had moves of God. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But because of failure to stay connected to the foundations, as it was at the beginning, after a period of time, all that's left is disaster and bad stories. Because there's a shift in focus. The early church encountered this issue within one generation. So we should not assume that we're not going to have the same issue. You see, we are continually reminded that we are to shape our lives and our call to serve around the purposes of God. But what we see is people who try to shape 
serving God around their lives. And that's a continual challenge. It's a challenge that's going on everywhere. And the reason why there's then a drift is because they've forgotten as it was at the beginning. Other things have come and distracted and the children of Israel, they'd lost connection to their promise. Leaving Egypt and the promises ahead of them. And suddenly when it becomes that the, these 12 great leaders go out, 10 of them, all they can see is the size of the giant, not the size of the promise. And instead they filtered it through their soul and their connection was to their soul, not a connection to the promise, not a connection to as it was at the beginning. And so these leaders, they led them back into the wilderness because they saw themselves as inadequate. And, but the reality is, to the child of faith, the answer is always, but with God, all things are possible. And that's why David was a man after God's own heart, because that's the next story we have in Scripture of the Israelites confronting some giants. And all he does is say, this is a target I cannot miss. And he goes, how dare you defy my God? And so we've got to receive the promises of God and see our future. Not through our humanity, but being born again. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Seeing things through the eyes of the Spirit and not the eyes of humanity. When we came here, we, I, we had people telling us, what are you coming here for? It's way too big. It's not going to be too big, folks. Because we've seen what's coming. There's a reality that we've seen. People said to Debbie and I, why did you stick at it? Well, What's the option? <laughs> As at the beginning. We've got to make sure we're connected to our foundations. The Holy Spirit has always been unpredictable. I'll just talk to church on this side. The Holy Spirit has always been unpredictable. So why should we think that church should be predictable? The moment church becomes predictable, you've lost revival. It's just the way it is. I mean, you should never know what's happening. And so as at the beginning, that phrase, it includes the context of what was going on around that unpredictable suddenly of God. When John and Carolina were with us, we were telling some stories about what it was for us in 95. I could have told them a story about what it was and in 80s when we had a move of God with the youth, which was just like, whoa. And then there's a few stories that we, we've got. 
But there's a context that goes with every suddenly of God. As at the beginning, it's not just the moment when something happens. It's the context that was going on. What was the story behind the story? There's an, always a story behind the story for every move of God. And so if we take the day of Pentecost, the story was there was 120 people who were possessed by the promise of God that they had been told, wait because there is a power coming from heaven. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so 120 people were there and they were not letting go. They didn't know when it was going to happen. They didn't know how it was going to happen. They had no idea what was in store. But there they were and they were saying, yes, Lord. I'm so glad that they did. I was in the Philippines a few years ago. And we were using a Catholic training center to do the school of revival. And there's a, there's a Madonna, a statue of Mary there as big as me. And suddenly it was like, how are we going to introduce? Because there was, there was as many Catholics there as there was us. And, and, and it was like, did you know the Bible shows me that Mary spoke in tongues? I said, just there it was. John had been told at the foot of the cross, this is now your mother. Look after her. Can you imagine as the 120 were there that John says, Mary, you don't need to be here. Just go home, make my lunch because I'm going to be holy and then you can get my washing done and everything else. I don't imagine that John did that. Not after Jesus had just done what he did. And then the Bible says, and they all spoke in tongues. And so it seems pretty clear to me that Mary would have been speaking in tongues. And so then I just said, so what's your problem? Why don't you? And the next minute, a wave of the Holy Spirit swept through the place. And shaka Whoa. But as at the beginning, there was a hunger and there was a trust in the promise of God. And that's the challenge that continues in Samaria. Why was there an outpouring? Because they were believing for the promise of God. And why was there at Cornelius' house? Because he was believing for the promise of God. That issue of faith before the action takes place. And that's what God is calling us all into. Have we got faith in an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that our eyes can't see and we can see almost the very opposite happening. But we've got to be the people who have spiritual eyes and see the promise of God and see the power of God and see the Holy Spirit and see as at the beginning. And so if we look at the story of Azusa Street, it's easy to to talk about the time there in Azusa Street. But before Azusa Street happened, in Bonnie Bray Street, there was an outpouring of prayer. There was prayer going on. There was prayer going on. There was prayer going on. And then suddenly, the Spirit fell in a disused stable. I think God must love stables. I don't know if they'd cleaned all the horse manure out of the stable, but that's where it happened. That's what Azusa Street was. It was an, an old stable because that's all that the society at that time would let an old one-eyed black preacher have. But it was enough. It was enough. And if you 
hear the story of Toronto and the outpouring of God, which has moved across the world and, 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 and our generation. But one of the things that John and Carol didn't tell us, but I know, that before that all happened, God had spoken to them about a year before and said, will you give me your mornings? And for a year, regardless of anything, they would sit for three hours every morning and just in the presence of God, read Scripture, pray. You see, every move of God is not an accident. At Pensacola, Debbie and I had the privilege of being there in 97 when it was at the height of what God was doing. But for a year before the outpouring there started, every Sunday night they were having a prayer meeting. Not praying, oh God, it was, God, you're going to move. God, you're going to do. We bless the society around us. We bless this. We bless that. And they had some big banners. And we didn't have banners, but we put up posters that were similar. And just blessing the government and blessing this and blessing. And that outpouring came out of a foundation of blessing. And in our own story, in what was then known as Hut Triple C, Hut Christian Covenant Center. I mean, by the time you said that, it was nearly like speaking in tongues anyway. <laughs> And where do you go? Hut Christian Covenant. So around the city we became known as Hut Triple C. But for two years, every Saturday night, from 6.30 to 7.30, we worshipped. Only using songs that had been born in revival. Nothing about how I'm feeling. And laid hands on everybody. Not with an object to make everyone bald, with an objective to make everyone bold. To see people speaking in tongues and the moving of spiritual gifts. And along the wall, many of you know, we had this dot matrix printed sign up. Lord, we've heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat it in our time. In our time, make known for two years. Did we get weary? No. Why? Because we could see what was not yet seen. But at the beginning, there's a fresh call, I believe, in the Spirit that right now as God's Spirit is starting to ramp up all around this nation, that we've got to be the same as at the beginning. Because if you look at every move of God, there was people who were focused on prayer. They were focused on praise. They were focused on lifting up the name of Jesus. And suddenly the Holy Spirit says, I like that place. I'm coming. And ready, ready or not, whoa. Ah! <laughs> 
And if you think this is crazy, try the day at Pentecost. Whoa, Hashimananda. The thing is this. We're not trying to go back to the past, but we're going to be connected to our roots. We, the, the church is founded. The church is founded on apostles and prophets who have a focus on the supernatural. And we have to get, once again, a fresh focus on the supernatural, not just on Sunday and... Ch- Whoa, psh- <laughs> 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 but what about the supernatural in your workplace? What about the supernatural when you're filling up your car? Oh, What about the supernatural, whatever you... Whoa, 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 whoa. Because it's as at the beginning. Has at the beginning. It's so easy. I've heard it. People have said to me that, oh, well, we used to have a move of God, but we've moved on. Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> I, I was in Auckland and a pastor's gathering. I was speaking out and someone said that. A pastor said that to me. I said, whoa, you need to tell me what's going on. Because, I mean, if you've moved on, I mean, I'm only seeing people saved, people healed, people delivered, and, and people full of joy, and you've moved on. Tell me about it. And his wife said, we went back. <laughs> But the challenge is to us. Let's make sure that we don't lose connection with our foundations. Let's make sure that as at the beginning still applies, that we still have a freedom in tongues, that we still have a freedom to praise the Lord, that we still have a freedom to lift up the name of Jesus, and that we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. We're not ashamed of the gospel of the anointing. We're not ashamed of the Holy Spirit. We are still connected to our beginning, and then there's going to be some amazing things take place. We're going to see things the world can't do. But God can. Can you stand with me? Can you pack up the chairs, please? Because this is a, whoa, what's going to happen? You're going to line up in lines and the prayer ministry team comes and there will be power. But this is not about a one-shot meeting. This is about getting under the anointing and getting things stirred up afresh in us. So the ministry team is going to come. And if you're on the floor, stay on the floor for a few minutes and just let the anointing just get inside you. I don't have an English word, but that explains it. Just let the of the Holy Spirit get inside. Yeah! Come on, boys. Someone get him a chair. Whoa! 
So, so now that we've got rid of the chairs, just line up. We'll, we can do the pizza in a few minutes. But let's just do the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to be walking very far. That mine, no, that Debbie's. Yeah. Oh, Shapa Panda. So just line up in lines, please. Line up in lines. Line, line up in lines. No, 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 line up in the line. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And the prayer ministry team is going to just start coming down the lines. And they're going to pray, not just a touch. Who knows what God's going to do? Eventually my legs will start to move. But, <laughs> but whatever you do, don't become like an old cucumber trying to become a gherkin or something like that. Just <laughs> allow God to touch you. Get saturated, Holy Spirit, in these next few minutes. I thank you that you're going to be releasing more of your glory, more of your glory in us, more of your glory, more of your glory. Come, Holy Spirit, more of your glory. Lord, as we stand in your presence, we say, more of your glory, more of your glory. Because, Lord, we want to continue as at the beginning. No, no deviation into humanity, no deviation into what humans can do. But as at the beginning, Lord, we trust in you and your unfailing love. We trust in you and your power. We trust in you and your goodness. We trust in you and the fact that you are from everlasting to everlasting. And we trust in the foundations of the church. We trust in all your goodness.